We have now arrived at October 16th, 2023, the 289th day of the year. We're nearly 80% of the way through the year, and it's almost time to begin another one. For those with birthdays today, you're perhaps on your next stage already. I'm Sean Tubbs, and I know that this is the 590th edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. And if you're interested in a little time travel, why not go back and read or listen to the 289th edition from December 7th, 2021. Thanks to all of those who are supporting this work and my efforts to eventually get to edition 1180. Within this particular program, a review of several items from Albemarle County's Facilities and Environmental Services Department, including an update on the Square project in Crozet, and Charlottesville City Council gets a briefing on the Housing Advisory Committee's request to restore an overlay district for what had been called sensitive communities in the new development code. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, are you and your canine companions ready for a little goofy fun? Coming up on October 27th is Doggy howl o on the Charlottesville Downtown Mall, sponsored by downtown businesses and friends of downtown Charlottesville. Bring your pet in costume for trick-or-treating at 5 p.m., followed by the parade and costume contest at 6.30 p.m. You can register and find out more information either on Facebook or at Paw Prince Boutique in Central Place on the Downtown Mall. A $15 donation to the Cat Action Team is suggested, and get ready for Doggy Halloween on October 27th. A statistical analysis of this newsletter would likely reveal that Charlottesville is the locality that is most covered. This is not intentional, and this segment seeks to provide for more data for future hypotheses. Every quarter, Albemarle County gives an update on the status of infrastructure projects in a report from the Facilities and Environmental Services Department. The report included in this Wednesday's Board of Supervisors packet has new information on the courts complex and more. According to the report, demolition of an annex building for the Levy Opera House began over the summer to make way for the new joint general district court for both Albemarle and Charlottesville. Here's a line from the first page of the report. Select interior demolition of the historic Levy Opera House has also been completed, and renovation work to upgrade this facility to house the county's Commonwealth's attorney's office is underway. The court's project has been split into two phases, with completion of the first expected in early 2025. The second phase will include renovations to the existing historic courthouse, and design and drawings for that should be completed in December of this year. You can stay up to date on the project at a dedicated website. There's a link to a video overview in the newsletter. There's also an update on plans to build new infrastructure in downtown Crozet to support redevelopment of the privately owned space once known as the Barnes Lumberyard. The Downtown Crozet Initiative is a public-private partnership that for many years has been seeking to build a public plaza in this space. A transportation improvement project will extend Library Avenue by 0.4 miles through the property to connect with High Street and then Hill Street and Parkside Village. The fully funded project is in the right-of-way acquisition phase according to the Virginia Department of Transportation's six-year improvement program. 
In September, county staff held a meeting to provide information on upcoming construction work expected to get underway next spring. Here's an item from page 6 of the report. During a two-hour-long question-and-answer session, county staff and the county's engineering consultant discussed all aspects of the Square project and possible construction impacts. Albemarle County has also begun vegetation maintenance on some county streets that would otherwise be handled by VDOT. Some of the affected areas include Avon Street, Commonwealth Drive, Crozet Avenue, Garth Road, Pantops Area, Rio Road, Stony Point Road, and the John W. Warner Parkway. Here's more from page 8 of the report. We will be adding some of the areas to our regular contacted vegetation management routes, improving tidiness, enhancing driver and pedestrian safety, and keeping stormwater drains flowing. The FES report also has news of Sweeping Beauty, the county's first street sweeper. Over 1,200 people participated in a naming contest for the vehicle, which is active from 3 a.m. to 11 a.m. Monday through Friday at a cruising speed of between 3 miles an hour and 7 miles an hour. The report states that, During the first three weeks of use, Sweeping Beauty scrubbed over 115 lane miles of roadway and removed over 24 tons of dirt, trash, and other pollutants from the road. The report has several items I've already reported on, such as Albemarle County's award of the first set of climate protection grants and the joint effort known as Resilient Together on Climate Action. There are also status reports of several infrastructure projects totaling about $70.1 million, beginning on page 11th. Here are some of the highlights. An upgrade of the voter registration office at the county's office building on 5th Street Extended is complete at a project cost of $93,300. A project to build a trailhead park on 5th Street Extended is currently on hold. Design of new grass athletic fields at Biscuit Run Park has begun. In all, there would be two fields with the opportunity to expand for a total of five. A project to build a vehicular entrance and parking at Biscuit Run Park is listed as being 50% complete. The anticipated completion date is now September 20th, 2024, and the project is expected to go to bid this month. And construction of the $3.1 million Public Safety Operations Logistics Center at Fashion Square Mall is 55% complete. The county is renting a portion of the former J.C. Penney, and the work here is expected to be complete by October 31st. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out, one supporter wants you to know that Charlottesville now has an e-bike lending library. E-bikes are a great way to get around the community, but there are many brands and styles to choose from. Because many e-bikes are sold online, it can be a challenge to try an e-bike before buying one. The Charlottesville e-bike lending library is a free, not-for-profit service working to expand access to e-bikes in the area. They have a small collection of vehicles that are lent out to community members for up to a week for free. You can experience your daily commute, go grocery shopping, or even bike your kids to school and decide whether e-bikes are right for you. Check out the service at www.ebikelibrarycville.org.
We are closer than ever before to the adoption of a new development code for the city of Charlottesville, which will result in fewer steps that property owners will have to take to build on their land. The new zoning will also enable more building space on every single lot within city limits. But should some receive fewer development rights in order to protect them from displacement? On October 3rd, the Charlottesville City Council held their second work session on the proposed development code. Mayor Lloyd Snook said he wanted to provide another opportunity to go through questions that he and other city councilors and the public have about the process. First question I had posed was uh, to the city tax assessor, will taxes go up based on the potentially more intense use of the land in RA, RB and RC lots? Snook's question was prompted by activity on the social media site next door, where some claimed that property taxes would triple due to the potential of having three residential units on their lot. As I understand it, this is not a simple yes or no answer, but has a lot of it depends on whether neighbors are selling for three times as much, not whether neighbors might sell for three times as much. As I understand it, the answer is, as it has always been, that it depends on what comparables are doing. Comparable is a real estate term used in the assessment process. City Assessor Jeffrey Davis has a letter dated September 18, 2023, that Snook read from. I think it is logical to assume that by increasing the density, property values may rise over time, but there is no basis for an immediate increase in assessments. Another claim by opponents of the development code is that the city's comprehensive plan is invalid because the Virginia Department of Transportation did not adequately review the document. Here is city attorney Jacob Stroman. I think we can put this one to rest pretty quickly. The allegation of illegality um, relates not to the adoption of the zoning ordinance, which is before the council at this time, but, but uh, relates to an allegation of an event that is that is past us, which relates to the amendment of the comprehensive plan. Um, the, uh, the, the the statute that is issued that is at issue here um, has no bearing on council's uh, consideration of the zoning ordinance, and any allegation of illegality is ill-founded. In August 2022, Charlottesville Circuit Court Judge Claude Worrell threw out all but one count of a lawsuit as I reported at the time. The main topic of conversation at the October 3, 2023 council meeting was displacement and what might be done to stop it. Since then, readers of Charlottesville Community Engagement know that the Planning Commission will consider this Wednesday two overlay districts intended to provide tools to stop the purchase of land in historically black neighborhoods where families have lower household income and wealth. Council first heard from Antoine Williams, the city's housing manager. He will be responsible for ensuring compliance with the new rules for affordability. He defined anti-displacement for council. Anti-displacement then is generally referred to as strategies and policies to prevent involuntary displacement of long-standing, often low, lower income residents from their neighborhoods due to gentrification or other development pressures. An anti-displacement strategy framework aims to create inclusive, stable communities where residents can afford to live and thrive. The comprehensive plan designated these areas as sensitive communities, and the future land use map suggested geographic locations that would have fewer development rights than the rest of the city in the new zoning. The idea had been discarded by the time the Planning Commission held their public hearing on the development code on September 14th, but they will consider its return on Wednesday. 
Williams said the new zoning code will require 10% of units constructed outside the three residential zones to be affordable. He also said there will be density bonuses for additional height as well. These rules will be codified in an affordable housing manual, which can be viewed at a link in the newsletter. Williams said there are limits to what zoning can do. It can't address economic inequality, control property values, or address all displacement issues. City Councilor Michael Payne said he understood, but asked if there was a tie between the proposed zoning and being able to use other tools, such as housing vouchers, a land trust, or using low-income housing tax credits. Does zoning interact with these tools in any way? In other words, do you see situations where, depending on what the zoning it is, it makes it more or less feasible to implement some of these strategies? Williams said the city is studying the concept of a housing equity district, which he said could identify individual properties with long-term residents or tenants. That would perhaps allow more tax abatement. Uh, one thing that has been discussed uh, and, and is being vetted uh, is concepts where um, you can freeze tax values um, um, or work with the owner of said home to ensure that that homeowner could have the opportunity of first right of refusal or the city or a land bank or a land, or a land trust. Since the Planning Commission's public hearing on September 14th, the Housing Advisory Committee has been working to restore the overlay district that was discarded. This group is currently led by leaders of nonprofits who receive funds from the city to build, maintain, and rehabilitate housing. Sunshine Mathon is the executive director of the Piedmont Housing Alliance. He reminded council that the city conducted a housing needs assessment in 2018. The results were grim. Uh, at that moment in time, five years ago, it identified that the city needed to deploy 3,300 housing interventions, uh, the 3318 number on the right-hand side, um, to address household cost burdens experienced by lower-income families in our, in our city. Disturbingly, it also estimated that the challenges would only worsen in the coming decades without deep investment and focused action. Soon afterwards, the Housing Advisory Committee took a major role in developing the request for proposals for the Seville Plans Together initiative, of which the zoning rewrite is the third leg. The first was the Affordable Housing Plan, which called for the elimination of policies to only allow one unit per lot, as well as a commitment for Charlottesville to spend at least $10 million a year on housing. Mathan said there is still a major obstacle related to economics. The headwinds to progress that every city faces are similar. One, we operate within a social fabric that privileges housing as an investment vehicle over housing as a human right. Corporate aggregation of homes across the country, including in Charlottesville, is the latest expression of this principle. Mathan said the city has to protect certain neighborhoods from the potential effects of upzoning, citing the recent study by the firm RKG. He said the Housing Advisory Committee recommended restoration of what had been called sensitive communities. The anti-displacement zones overlay, or i.e. sensitive area overlay, grew out of this assessment and attempted to redistrib redistribute development pressure by differentiating maximum densities, more density in historically exclusionary neighborhoods, less density in anti-displacement zones. Mathon went on to detail a proposal to limit development in the short term through an overlay while small area plans are developed for each of the areas. He said without this overlay, the problem will get much worse. The council discussed many more items and ideas in detail 
and heard from the city attorney, Jacob Stroman, about how many of them would likely not be allowed under Virginia law. One was an idea from Planning Commissioner Phil Duranzio to put limits on who could have additional development rights in the overlay districts. Stroman had reservations. We're not trying to, to, to give a dispositive uh, opinion on the fly about this kind of program, and I don't want to leave that impression at all. It's just I think, I think it is good to realize that, that there are going to be some hurdles here, perhaps significant ones, that we'll have to, to contemplate. Now, as with many of these summaries, this is the end of the report, but it's not the end of that meeting. There's a lot to learn, and there's only so much I can get to. Council had another work session on October 11th on anticipated population trends that I will eventually write up. There's a lot going on, and it's really important to pay attention to this, and most of our media providers have decided that they're going to write one or two stories about this Maybe. But as I complete this version of the newsletter, I can report that the materials for the Planning Commission's deliberation now include more details on the new zoning district that is being called Core Residential Neighborhood A. I'll have more details in a future newsletter as well as a report on Albemarle County transportation priorities in the next edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. This is a hastily produced edition that I'm posting very quickly because very soon, as soon as I'm done, I got to go to WINA to speak to Courtney Stewart about what's in yesterday's week ahead. There is an awful lot happening in the community, and my hope in producing each of these newsletters is to get more people interested and aware of the details. My belief is that informed community members make better communities or something like that. I can't afford a budget for bumper stickers, and that one, I think, was taken. I can afford to tell you that I can afford to do this work because of paid subscribers of this newsletter. And hopefully by the time I get to 1,180, I will have at least one person working for me. I almost said up top that this is National Cat Day and maybe I can train mine? Or does anybody know how I can contact the people who have the infinite monkeys? I'm Sean Tubbs. This is the end of the program. In the newsletter, there's information about Ting. I really have to get going because, gosh... There's a lot going on, and thank you so much for listening and allowing me to do this work.